After a lifetime of researching the dynamic and enigmatic world of light entertainment, I've decided to ditch my notebook and meet the people who inspire me. What makes them the people they are? How do they feel about the show business landscape in which they find themselves? And in a world where anyone can be a star, is there still a need for performers who have universal appeal? Come with me on a journey of discovery as I get a unique insight into Britain's favourite stars with a little help from my glamorous assistants. Yeah, well, I say glamorous, more like hazardous. And of course, we'll have a bit of fun along the way. Bristolian stand-up comic Johnny Ball swapped life on the circuit for children's TV in 1964 when he became a presenter on the BBC's flagship series Play School, at the same time as writing gags for rival children's series Crackerjack. By the late 1970s, Johnny was a household name and his 1978 series Think of a Number cemented this. I caught up with the TV icon to talk comedy, children's TV and recollections on an unparalleled career in entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Johnny Ball. So, um... Appearing on the Northern Comedy Circuit during the early 1960s, alongside icons such as Les Dawson, um, what sort of grounding in entertainment did that offer you? It was just fabulous grounding. I, I, it, it, Les and I differed in that Les was always this melancholic, grumpy figure. And it didn't go down very well in the clubs, where I was a person who clearly loved the audience and loved to have fun with the audience. Um, I've been a butler redcoat for three years, so I was used to communicating with people and bringing them along with me. So the fun was like a party, really. So I found it much easier in the clubs than Les did. However, once we got on television, Les just shot away because he was perfect for television. And I never made it in television because I didn't want to do the club acts that I did, that was for the clubs, that was for the audience in front of me. When you got a national audience, I wanted to do different things, and my act didn't suit that. Hmm. So why then did you sort of stray from that sort of style of comedy? Actually? Um, I got into children's television in 1967, the same year that I did the Valdunican show and a, an ITV Christmas Night Spectacular, which was a... a to, an hour and a half show, and um, and uh, I compared that, but neither of them m made a, a name for me. No, no, <laughs> I might have not appeared. I didn't break any pots at all, mm -hmm. and but I got into children's television, and I suddenly found that I loved the integrity of the children's television. And after I'd done it for a few weeks, I began to like it more, and I realised that with children's television, I could learn television and turn myself into something that did suit television. And I didn't know what that was. But I suddenly realized that this was my career path, and the clubs had just got me to that uh, stage, and I wasn't really going to do much longer in the clubs. Okay. So are you talking about um, the BBC's play school there, where you talk about your movie? That's right, play school first. And then yeah. it was... It was it was only a passing thing. I only did play school for 16 years. <laughs> and But after about three years, I started writing my own shows. I, I wrote a, a series called Cabbages and Kings, which was a bit like Horrible Histories today um, uh, in, in many ways. And it was okay, but we didn't have the budget for it. I, I, it was costing too much, so it wasn't viable. So after 10 years 
or nine years, I think it was, I did think of a number. Yeah. And uh, that became a great success. So my whole career changed path then. So Josh wanted to know what kind of, uh, how it sort of felt moving from the world of comedy into children's television and uh, and sort of how far removed it was from what you was kind of used to doing and then into something which you obviously enjoyed so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. When I was in the clubs, I loved working to the audience and I loved looking at the audience and laughing with them and getting them to laugh with me. And it was really, really beautiful. I loved it. I envy the comedians today who have huge audiences. The most I ever got was about 700 in a, in a big club. But, and that was wonderful. But now they get thousands and it must be marvellous to get that rapport with an audience. But I found that talking to the TV camera was equally rewarding and I, I just poured myself through the ca the camera as it were yeah. and I just loved it I just loved the camera and loved working with it and I did things like I went to a seminar where they were talking about special effects um, effects like you know the same person appearing next to each other talking to each other uh, people coming through as it through screens as though they're walking through doors um, and all those kind of special effects and I shouldn't have been there because I wasn't an employee of the BBC. I was freelance. But I went in, and within two years, I used every single one of those tricks in my programs, much more than all the directors in the BBC had used. And because I love the medium of television, I love using it. Yeah. So um, Josh has um, asked about Flora Benjamin um, and what it was like working with her and why do you think you developed the such a good on-screen chemistry. I was I I, I loved uh, play school, and they found that I was very I, I don't know. I, uh, actors tend to think of themselves a lot, and I wasn't an actor, mm. so actors tend to not share with other presenters as much until yeah. they get used to it and get into it. They're almost plowing their own furrow. But I loved people, and they realised that. And so I got the job of, of doing the first week with almost every new girl presenter. And it was absolutely lovely. And I enjoyed it tremendously. And Floella had just done the Black Mercado in the West End, where she'd been a tremendous success, as had Derek Griffiths. He, he was, we were in London in a restaurant, and two Americans came in and we've seen and said we've just seen an absolute genius, the, the funniest man we've ever seen, and that was Derek Griffiths. Hmm. Um, so, so they were both very successful. So when they came into play school, it was almost a step down. But I helped Floella from the start. I taught her how to stand up because she was stand up too quickly. I said, no, you've got to look at camera and stand up and let the camera come up with you. And she always mentions that. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned uh, before there about think of a number and yeah. um, what what sort of responsibility um did you feel like you had when you had your own sort of children? tremendous it, it, tremendous it was right i wrote the first one and it the pilot was a success i wrote the first series and we won bafta uh with that series but then people started writing uh, kids started writing saying i'm going to be a scientist i'm going to be a structural engineer i'm going to be this and that because of you, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up on end, because I had to write these scripts, and now I realize the responsibility, and it really was daunting, it really, really uh, 
was very tough, and I found it much tougher to write once I got this idea that people were actually I was actually changing people's lives. So I took it very seriously, indeed, you know, yeah. and and found that there was nothing I couldn't talk about. So I said to the producer one day, "I'm going to do a, a program on explosives," and he said, "You can't do that." I said, "Why?" He said, "It's children's television. You, you, I'm not allowing that." I said, "No, it's called we call bang bang bang." And he said, no, I'm not allowing it. I said, well, what does a, what does a car engine do when it's doing 3,000 revs? Yeah. It's producing 6,000 bangs, 6,000 controlled explosions um, a minute, yeah. <laughs> or a second, whatever it is, a minute. Yeah. You know. and, uh, and, and he said, oh, I see controlled explosions. Oh, that's all right. I said, no, I want to talk about Hiroshima. I said, what? <laughs> so I said, well, wait till you see the script. So he saw the script and he said, okay, you know. Yeah. And um, so I took these challenges on and tried very carefully to 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 um, to be a good example to people, yeah. you know, and be be positive all the time. I was never negative. Yeah, excellent. Um, oh. <laughs> Yeah. Do you just asked, um, do you think you would be able to get away with some of that now? I was told a couple of years ago that, that, that um, the BBC said, oh, your programmes couldn't be made today. When, when, if you remember Fred Dibner, when Fred Dibner died, the producer of Fred Dibner, who'd done all those wonderful programmes, with enormous figures, very, very popular, the producer knew me and he said, you know, Fred's, terminally ill and he's dying and he said he said would you consider doing a new series in that slot that's different uh, totally different but but i think you could do a similar thing and i said i'd love to yeah. and after that been 25 years of the bbc that happened i think in 2004 and the bbc wouldn't even grant the producer a meeting to discuss it yeah so what i'd done i don't know but uh no, they weren't interested. So, so that was very odd. Okay, that leads quite nicely into our next question. Um, how important do you think the, the BBC Television Centre was to the output of British television during the period? It was the BBC was the greatest television company in the world. There's no question. And in terms of children's output, we far outstripped any other country in the world. Anyone at all. We. When you had me and Tony Hart and Johnny Morris and, and Blue Peter and all those programs, um, uh, Vision On and all those programs, we did so well that ITV stopped importing American cartoons because it wasn't viable, because there weren't getting enough people watching them. Yeah. <clears throat> Sadly, all that's gone today, and I, I think it's terribly sad. I, I really do. And I yeah. think it was lovely when children's television started about four o'clock and they went through to five and then suddenly went through to the news and then the evening programs. And it was all seamless and the whole family could watch without anybody worrying about anybody being shocked or frightened or, you know, having yeah. terrible material thrown at them. Today, you know, the stuff in the soaps, I think, is just horrible all the time. And yeah. it's it's such a bad influence. And uh, so I'm an old grouch about this, I'm afraid. <laughs> I just think the, the golden age of of BBC, BBC television, I, I think, has gone, I'm afraid. Yeah. 
But, I hope um, I hope I'm wrong there. I do hope the BBC is successful in the future and continues to be successful. I yeah. don't wish them harm at all. Well, of course, um, the next question leads on to another generation in the Ball dynasty. What was your initial reaction to when uh, Zoe had expressed an interest in being a broadcaster? She said she wanted to do journalism, and uh, I, I knew what she meant. I knew she meant she wanted to be in television, and. Uh, and it was okay. And she left school at 18. She hadn't, she wasn't particularly academic. <clears throat> so, um, and she came out at 18. And I gave her one phone number, which I got from my agent, which was for um, the Saturday morning children's programs for ITV out of Granada. And she rang. Oh, no, she rang the BBC. And they said, no, we haven't got anybody, any, any room because we're using the same crew as last year. Ring Granada because they start at the same time as us. So she rang Granada, and they said, "No, we haven't got any players." And they said, "Oh, hang on, um, uh, B Sky B are doing a thing, um, and they're doing Saturday and Sunday. Ring them." So she rang them, and they gave her a job at literally no money. Yeah, but she took the job at eighteen, and we paid her digs in Manchester, and she went up there for a few years, and and uh, you know. Sort of, and slowly she started to make money, and that's where she started. And uh, yeah, was, there was a weird thing where she had three friends, and the four girls were really dynamic. And there were three jobs going at Granada after the children's series had finished, and it came up with three jobs, and the other three girls got the jobs, and Zoe didn't. Mm. And Zoe was ever so upset, and the boss of Granada Television said. What are you worried about, Zoe? You're going to be a bloody star, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they could see that she's going to she was going to make it. Yeah, um, it's the first thing that uh, Chris Evans said when he saw her. He said she's going to be a star. You know. Yeah, um, So it was it was lovely, and it's funny you see because she, she hasn't done it through me. It wasn't she didn't come onto my programs or anything like that. It wasn't right. like that. She plowed her own furrow. You know, yeah. she was a ladette. As, you, as people remember, for a few years, and, and I didn't know what, what her life was all about. Um, so she did it on her own, and oh, I'm very proud of her, really very proud of her. Excellent. And slightly more recently then, well, I say slightly, ever so slightly more recently, 2003, you appeared alongside the great Terry Wogan um, at answering viewers' questions on Channel 5's Terry and Gabby show. Yeah. What were your memories of working on that show and working with Sir Terry Wogan? <clears throat> Terry was a joy, and I'd known him before, and he was a, a great joy. He was a great broadcaster, you know. I mean, Zoe works from Wogan House now. Yeah. <laughs> Radio 2 works from Wogan House. It's named after him. He was tremendous. Um, I have to be honest with the Terry and Gabby show, is he was heading for retirement, and he was persuaded by Chris Evans to do it, and he didn't really want to do it. Right. And he said, go on, I'll do it. I'll do it then. But he didn't work hard at it, and and the show didn't do very well. And it was a pity, because I was with Terry, as I say, just at the time when he was saying, oh, I've had so many years now, and so much. Um, you know, I want to ease out now. So yeah. it was, if you like, I was working at the wrong time in his career. And, yeah. and of course, I didn't realize that he wasn't fully fit, because he was only a few years later that he died. Um, which And I didn't realize at all that he had, health problems at all yeah 
So we'll, we'll, um, we'll sort of talk about other people's great careers and we'll go back to yours. Looking back at your career, what would you say your proudest achievement is? The, the proudest thing was doing writing the think programs. It, it was just, I was totally in my element. And you see, I left school at 16. I didn't go to university. I didn't even go to sixth form. So I had to research all the programs. If I'd gone to university, I'd have been perhaps an engineer, perhaps a biologist. I'd have had one corridor of learning. But because I didn't go, um, my, my, my education was messed up terribly, but it didn't matter. As soon as I left, I realized I was really, you know, quite intelligent. Intelligent. It was working well and turned most almost everything I did into a success of some kind. So I had a lot of confidence, but I had no, no um, discipline, yeah. no single discipline. I now realize it was the best thing that could have happened to me because I researched and talked about all kinds of things. I love history. I love the history of science, but I love the history of politics. I love, I love, I love everything about history. You know, my latest yeah. book, The History of Maths, you know, um, which, which is, is my real love, you know. So I've, I've loved researching, and I've found, because I've been a comedian, and stand-up comedians have to learn to get their effect across quickly, the yeah. joke has to be very concise and quick. No wagging around. You've got to get on with it. Bang and hit them. And and that's a joke. It's got to be quick. <clears throat> My writing became the same way. I couldn't write deadlines. Everything had to be important. And I put so many ideas into every program that they would have been 45 minutes. So rather than cut ideas out, we condensed them so that the ideas were really sharp and precise and clear and that was the other advantage we had in in, the, in my writing the programs so it was a wonderful wonderful period but it still goes on i still do yeah. things like that now yeah so um what what's next what's next for johnny ball you, you <coughs> got anything in the pipeline or there's yeah there's a few things I'm, 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 right you, people like me people who've been around a long time are used often as as celebrities for things so i'm doing a a thing in Italy, it's only a couple of days, <clears throat> on uh, on holidays. And the holiday they're sending me on is singles holidays. But it's single holidays for people who are interested in the history of places. So we're going to Pisa and then right. to Siena. That's my two okay. days. <clears throat> and But I know quite a lot of the history of uh, Pisa with Galileo. Yeah, and the Linear Tower of Pisa. So, uh, so, yeah, so I'll enjoy that, and that's one thing. And there's mooted a series about being on canals. There have been a good few series of people on canals, but this one is about being on the canal and talking specifically about the history of the canal, how yeah. they were made, how it all happened. And uh, that looks like happening. So I'm chuffed to death that people are still ringing me and asking me to do things. Yeah, love it. And also you've got your, uh, your book, you mentioned there, the history of mathematics. Yeah, Wonders Beyond Numbers, yeah. Yeah, lovely. Okay. All right. Well, um, yeah, that's all the questions that Josh has written. Are you uh, happy, Josh? A big thank you to our guest for being the subject of another Beyond the Title interview. If you like this, why not browse the website and see if there's anything else that takes your fancy? Don't forget to like our Facebook page to receive updates of forthcoming interviews and to see more information about me and what I do. Thanks again, and hopefully see you next time for another Beyond the Title interview.